The Dental Download Podcast is your source for insight into dental school, conversations with dentists, specialists, and leaders in the industry. With new episodes every Monday morning, I'm your host, Haley Schultz. Let's get into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. So we have two guests today in this one episode, and I'm going to let them both introduce themselves, where they're from, what their job is. So we'll start with Katie. Hi, everyone. Haley, thanks so much for having us here today. My name is Katie Fornelli. I am the Director of Early Career Dentists here at the California Dental Association. Um, I'm based in California. Um, I've been in the dental industry for 20-ish years um, I've kind of ran all different types of management roles in dentistry from consulting for private practices to being a practice analyst. Um, and Matt will talk a little bit more about that role at CDA to coaching and helping early career dentists through their careers. And I have the pleasure in my current role of going around to our seven dental schools in California and talking to dental students about career planning, finding associateships. So this topic is very timely um, in terms of what I do for CDA at um, in my current role. And I also help our early career dentists. So everything from um, helping them figure out if they want to be associates or they want to go into practice ownership, if they want to go into private practice, if they want to work for a DSO. So really just coaching them through all of those different career decisions. I'll pass it over to Matt. Perfect. Hi. Yeah, I'm uh, Matthew Nelson. I'm the practice management analyst at the California Dental Association. I've been in dental a little over eight years. I was an office manager for a very large group practice for five years, uh, went into private consulting for about a year, and then uh, landed here at CDA as the, as the practice management analyst. So um, a, a lot of joy in being able to share my experiences and and things that I've learned along the way with members that call in daily or through you know presentations or phone calls, emails, um, podcasts. But really, just get a lot of joy in being able to to help members and help dentists. Awesome! So I know a lot of people that are in the same stage of me in their dental journey. They're starting to look for jobs. That was something. Katie talked about and Matt, you kind of deal with people that are in the jobs, different things that they might run into with issues. So first thing I wanted to talk about is for a D4 or someone that's graduated that's just looking for an associate position, what are some of the things you think that they really need to know and to be looking out for? It's a good question. So I I know Matt and I have, we have different backgrounds in terms of our um, roles where it, in terms of helping to hire and onboard board associates, um, Matt has worked more for the DSO type of environment, and I come from more of a private practice environment. However, the red flags and the things that she should be looking out for are really going to be the same. Um, when I go to the dental schools, one of the first things that I say to this to the students, whether it's D1, D2, D3, D4, I say basically the same thing, that you really have to figure out what culture and what is going to be the right environment for you. So the more you know about what you're looking for, the easier and the better the interview process is going to be for you. Um, and so, and so I start with, I start with 
what do you want? What are you looking for? Um, every Everyone's different. There's so many different practice environments af- out there, and there's so many different cultures. There's not one DSO that, that is the same, that operates the same. There's not one private practice that operates the same. So the more that you can identify what are your strengths, what are your core values, um, what is the day-to-day environment that you are seeking? And if you don't know um, you can do some exercises, and these aren't endorsed by CDA, but there's some exercises that my leadership coaching, um, and Matt has done a lot of these same exercises. There's one that's called the Clifton Strengths exercise. You can do it online. It's a nominal fee. It gives you your top five strengths, and it tells you, um, like, for example, mine, mine's discipline. I, I'm a very disciplined person. Timeliness is really important to me. So when I go into a work environment, I'm looking for structure. I'm looking for the schedule to be organized and to be consistent. That's really important for me. Um, but maybe your, your strength is adaptability. Maybe you thrive in an environment that's different every single day. And so that's going to be that you're maybe more looking for that fast paced environment. You want to see a ton of patients and you want every day to be a little bit different. So knowing those strengths is going to be really critical when you go into looking for a job. Um, but you probably want to know the red flags. Those are usually, usually when we talk to doctors or to dental students, they're like, no, tell me what I should be looking out for. Don't tell me that I should do a core values exercise. So, okay. So we'll get into the, we'll get into the meat of, of what you're asking. Some of the red flags. Um, what's, what's the practice reputation? That's really important. And I think that that's sometimes not looked at very carefully, you know, so look at their online reviews and yes, there can be the outlier negative review, but for the most part, a practice should have a good reputation in the community, especially if you're moving to a smaller town. Um, you want, you want a practice that has strong reviews from, from patients, from the community. Are they involved in the community? Do you go to their website and you see that they're involved in, you know, community health fairs and they're involved in the schools or they're involved in the, you know, the, the local farmers market or whatever it is in that community that's being offered? Are they giving back to the community? That's really important. Um, when you get into an interview setting, one that's really critical is, is there a high turnover of employees? And you can ask that question because I get that from dental students. Well, how do I, how do I evaluate this? Well, you can ask, how long have the employees been with the practice? Who are the employees? What are their roles? What are their positions? What are their titles? And how long have they been with the practice? That's really critical. That's going to tell you a lot about the culture, the leadership, the management, of the practice. Um, a big one for a lot of new doctors and early career dentists is what are the production goals? And you can ask that, you know, what are the production expectations? I think that sometimes when a red flag isn't revealed, it's because the associate candidate is afraid to ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask these questions. You are assessing and evaluating this practice as much as they are assessing and evaluating you. This is this is not a, a time and a place to settle. You've worked way too hard in dental school to get to where you are to then not ask these questions and fully evaluate if the practice is the right fit. Matt, what other ones do you see that are common red flags? Well, I think, you know, when you go in and you go to the office, I th- 
I think you should look at it not just from a prospective employee lens, but look at it from like a patient standpoint too. So when you walk in or when you call the office or when they call you the first time, like how's, how are they on the phone? How are they when you walk into the practice? Do they greet you right away? Are they friendly when you tour the office? Um, you know, are they saying hi? And I think, you know, I've onboarded so many dentists when I was an office manager. And I think that was one of the things that, um, you know, we constantly got feedback on that people really liked is that, you know, I would give a tour of the practice before we would start any formal interview process. And I would introduce them to the team and the team was always friendly. The team knew that they were coming. So they always made sure to go out of their way to say hi. And, you know, we, we worked really hard to provide that, that type of environment or culture where people wanted to come work there. And I, you know, look at that when you're a prospective employee too. Yeah. Another one that I hear often is, has the practice fully evaluated if it can sustain and support an associate? That's really hard though, to reveal and uncover in an interview question. But some questions that you can ask, you can say, how many patients do you see on a daily basis? How many patients do you expect the associate to see? That'll begin to tell you, have they put some thought process in to whether the practice can sustain and and support that associate? Um, On the other end of things, when I've worked with practice owners who say, I'm ready to bring on an associate, I challenge them and ask those questions. Okay, so I know emotionally you might feel ready to hire an associate because maybe you're burnt out or maybe you want to scale back or, you know, maybe you're getting closer to retirement or whatever those reasons might be. But those reasons aren't the reason to hire an associate. So you really have to analyze the numbers and look and see does the practice have enough hygiene um, patients to support another provider, another associate coming into the office? And those are questions that you can ask. Um, you can ask what percentage of the associate's time is going to be spent on each type of procedure. What's the procedure mix? That will begin to give you, if they stumble and they don't have answers to these questions, then you can kind of go, okay, maybe they haven't really put as much thought into whether the practice is ready for an associate or not. Um, And then compensation, a big red flag that we run into a lot is you should know how you're going to get paid. You should know what you're going to be paid. It shouldn't be a secret. There should be a an agreement, an associate great agreement offered. Compensation should be very clearly outlined. Um, is it going to be a flat rate? Is it going to be a percentage of production or collections? Is it going to be a combination of the two? How frequently are you going to be paid? What's going to be deducted from that compensation? So lab fees or any other expenses? What benefits are going to be provided to you as the associate? Um, and, and that should not be a secret. So if they're kind of dancing around that question, that to me is a red flag. Yeah, those are all really good. And Matt, I definitely agree with what you said about just picking up on the general like vibes of the office is huge. That was something I was really looking for when I was looking at places to work. And it kind of relates to what you were saying, Katie, that figuring out like your core values and what you want. Sometimes you have to go out and see offices to figure that out because I was really excited about one opportunity. And then I just left there feeling like something was off. And I realized later that it was maybe a little too casual for me. Like I'm kind of like you that I want it like a little more structured and a little more businessy. Then I went to the next one 
And I thought, oh, this is perfect. And then I reflected, well, maybe that one was a little too businessy, a little too uptight. And then yeah. the third one was like perfect and right in the middle. So it it's like takes, Goldilocks. You just yeah. have to go to three <laughs> exactly. and figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, and um, I think go with your gut too, yeah. right? Go with your instincts. So if it doesn't feel right to you, it, it might feel right to somebody else. But if it doesn't feel right to you, trust your instincts. There's lots of offices out there. There's lots of opportunities out there. Definitely. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Matt. I was just going to say it's so important for listening to your instincts because I was realizing, okay, if I feel a little hesitant about this, when it comes time in a conversation that I need to have with this doctor that's really serious, if I'm already hesitant just to be there in general, it's going to be really hard to have that open communication and to feel comfortable and to make mistakes and learn all of those, like you really want to feel so, so comfortable in that environment. But what were you going to say, Matt? I was, I was going to ask if you asked those offices about mentorship during like the interview process or when you were filling them out, like what did that look like? Yeah, I heard from all of them about that since I was coming out as a new grad. I was like, what's kind of the expectations and like making sure that there would still be a doctor in the office all the time that I'm there, making sure I wouldn't be working completely alone um, were all really important to me. And then like, how would mentorship look? Are we going to the day before go over cases that I need to? Are you going to be not seeing patients and just floating around and helping me as needed? Like, what is that going to look like for them? I think are all things that I was asking and hearing different answers for, for everyone. Cause it's going to be a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Cause I do, I do hear from a lot of doctors that they're, they're like afraid to ask those questions and they're so important. And then they find themselves in a situation where they're covering three days in a practice. That's the doctor's three days off. So now like there was no strategy around mentorship. So that's awesome that you were asking those types of questions. Thank you. I also, when we're talking about like finding that job, I know that there's different types of associate structures. You talked about compensation, but there's also some instances where businesses try to have associates be 1099 versus W-2. Do either of you want to speak on that a little bit? Yeah. You know, in in most situations, um, an associate doctor coming in doesn't really qualify as being a 1099 or an independent contractor. And it like, really comes down to like the Borello test that, you know, you're not writing your own schedule. You're not bringing in your own staff or your own patients. You're not bringing in your own instruments. So, you know, in those situations, then you, you're pretty clearly defined as an employee and should be a W-2 employee. So, I will say if you find a practice that you love and you really want to work there and they insist on the 1099, you know, the risk is not on your end. The risk is on the owner's end. So if, you know, you can, you can do that if you want. But, um, you know, we do recommend to our owners that they look at talking to an attorney before bringing on an associate doctor as, a, as an associate or as a 1099. Yeah. And we have... Um, quite a few sample resources, one of them being an associate agreement. And we, with every clause of the associate agreement, we specify why this is an important piece of that agreement. And so as a resource for California Dental Association members, especially dental students, I always recommend go and download our sample associate agreement, read why each of those clauses is important, and then make sure 
that you have representation from an attorney, the other party has representation from an attorney, and you have an associate agreement in place. And it should specify, are you an employee or an independent contractor? And as for, we found the practice, we're going to work there, great. Then there's a bunch of other things that you need to kind of work through, especially as someone, if you're coming kind of straight through the educational journey and you're coming out mid to late 20s and you might just feel like, whoa, I'm the youngest person here, but I'm also the doctor and I'm kind of in charge of things, but I'm not the owner. So what's advice for like being a leader in the practice, but not overstepping? This is, so you are hitting our favorite topics, Haley. (laughs) Matt and I, we could talk leadership all day long. This is like our favorite thing to talk about. Um, We, we do work with a lot of doctors who are in that situation and it's really hard and, and being, um, having background as, as office managers and onboarding associates, we completely understand how challenging it can be. Not only you're the new staff person, but you're the new doctor. So, so the first thing that we usually you know, start with is no matter what your role is in terms of leading or managing the dental team, already as a dentist, you have a different expectation to be a leader in the practice. So it's really important that you understand that and um, understand that you've worked again, you've worked so hard to get to where you are. So, so you are a leader. The dental team should respect you and, and you should, you know, in return, respect them, obviously. Um, but a great time to kind of learn some leadership skills, listen to podcasts, read some books, um, you know, listen to different um, speakers on leadership is that time between graduation and licensure. And I don't know about in your state, but in California, it's usually about a six to 12 week kind of waiting period to get your license. And so we have recommendations of, you know, leadership books and podcasts and, and people who we lean on for leadership information. We'd be happy to share that with you so you can share it with your listeners. Um, but really just absorb yourself and immerse yourself into leadership information. Um, it's challenging to come in. You're not only the youngest person probably stepping into the practice or one of the youngest in the practice, um, but you're, you maybe haven't had any work experience. Um, maybe you've been in school the entire time or you have a little bit of work experience, but obviously not as a dentist. So, so the more that you can learn about, um, communication, conflict resolution. We could do a whole, we could do a whole podcast on conflict resolution. And we actually have a course that we recently did on conflict resolution with, with the dental team, overcoming difficult conversations and having those difficult conversations. So, so just learn it, ask questions, follow people who you respect and fake it till you make it, you know, copy them until you figure out your own style is usually what I recommend. Matt, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, being the leader doesn't mean you know everything too. So you don't have to know everything. And remember just the golden rule, you know, just treat people how you want to be treated. So like be humble, ask questions, like it's okay if they're training you, you can still be you know, the leader in the practice and be getting trained by someone that works there that knows more about a certain situation than you. Another question in an interview that I recommend asking 
is who am I, who will be in the office? Who will I be interacting with in the office? And what is their role? And who do I report to? So that's really important as you figure out where do you stand in the practice? So if, is there an office manager and am I reporting to the office manager or is the office manager reporting to me? So what are the dynamics and the staff relationships? That to me also begins to help you identify where you fit in, in terms of leading the dental team. Um, and a lot of times it might be the office manager who's managing you and you're an employee and that's totally okay. Um, but then I want to meet that office manager <laughs> and I want to understand um, the type of leadership and management um, expectations that that person has with the practice. Yeah. And you were talking about kind of using that time after graduation to work on developing your leadership style. And I think that would be really helpful for probably the majority of people. Then there might be a small minority like myself that I feel like I've been really involved in organized dentistry and student organization, leadership, teamwork, all that. So I kind of know how I prefer to communicate and leadership. So what would your advice be if you end up in a practice, like maybe you're treatment philosophy and all that align with the doctor, but your communication style or your leadership style is different. How would you recommend handling that when it comes to working with the rest of the team? Yeah. Uh, it's okay to have different leadership styles in the practice. I mean, unless they're very extreme, but, um, you know, I think back to a situation I had with a new doctor that came into our practice that we onboarded and I really liked her. Um, but she got in the situation where we had to have like this back molar, this crown was replaced and then it broke within a year. So our owner's philosophy was like, Hey, it's, we're going to replace that. We don't, you know, want to have bad work. So the doctor was really afraid of doing that crown. And she didn't want to tell anybody that she was afraid to do that crown because it was tough. So she kept going around saying, like, I'm not doing this crown unless I get at least $500 for this. And she was just so afraid to be humble and just ask for help that she ended up giving the impression to the rest of the team that she was this money-hungry doctor that didn't care about the care of the patient. And so, you know, it just goes back to my earlier comment of, like, being humble and approachable and, you know, you can have different leadership styles as long as you're treating the team right and being open and being honest. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. I would say that as long as there's communication and there's a clear path in terms of how you are expected to communicate, nothing can, nothing is, uh, not able to be discussed or overcome, right? So I'm just one of those strong believers of um, having some structure around communication. So for me, even though there might be different leadership styles, and I've worked with lots of group partnership practice scenarios, and I've worked with doctors who are completely opposite and different people, and they are both equal owners of the practice. But it's really important that there be uh, clear lines of communication. So I think it's really important that the staff know who do I go to for 
X, Y, and Z. When are the monthly staff meetings? What's discussed in those staff meetings? Do we have daily huddles? Um, so where I see problems arise when the communication or when the leadership structures are different is when there's just no leadership at all. There's an absenteeism of leadership. And so to me, that that's a problem. But if it's different styles, different communication methods, we can work with that. It's just if there's a doctor who is not leading, who owns the practice, who's checked out, that's a problem. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying there. And I'm kind of curious to talk about the other side of things. If you're deciding you want to get into ownership, what is your advice for, I guess, buying a practice and figuring out if you should transition from an associate to an owner? Is it really for a lot of people a financial decision that they're hoping to increase their earning potential? Or are there kind of other benefits that outweigh the cons of obviously more work on your plate. Yeah. So I go back to those core values and those strengths because this decision is going to be so different for each person. Um, and, and this is where we really get into almost like a, an individual one-on-one -on -one consulting situation with our members. They can contact us at practice support. They can email us. They can call us. And we're happy to talk through the pros and cons because there are pros and cons both ways. Um, I'm sure since a lot of your listeners are dental students, the majority or more, more females are graduating from dental school than males. And so we're finding that there's just a lot of differences in terms of how they want their profession to, to look and their career to look. So we look at all the pros and cons, but I get, again, I kind of go back to what are your core values? If you're the type of person where you lead with decision-making and autonomy, and you really want to be the person in charge that's solo practice ownership. And you're probably not going to thrive in an environment where you have to work with others to make decisions. And there's a lot of doctors that are, that want that autonomy. Um, if you are more like me, where you like to work with people, I don't like working by myself. I need a team. Um, I need others to help me influence and make decisions. So I would either thrive in a in an associate environment, or I would thrive in a group practice ownership model. So the answer to the question of, is it financially driven? In a lot of circumstances, it is. Um, and, and in a lot of circumstances, it does make financial sense to own a practice. So it just depends on what are your objectives and what are your goals? And, and who are you? Do you want to be by yourself? Do you want to be in a group practice? Do you want to practice dentistry and have a management structure that deals with the rest of it? Um, those are all, those are all points to consider. I don't have anything else to add. I, mean, <laughs> I guess you do. <laughs> no, I mean, you gotta, you gotta know you want it if you're, if you're going to go for it. I mean, you really got to know that you, you want it and you have to know who you are and you got to know that you can do it. It's managing a business and managing people. It's a lot added on to just managing patients. So, yeah. Um, and a lot of people love it. A lot of people wouldn't choose it any other way, managing a team and getting to make all of those decisions and getting to build the practice. We, t we talked to, so Matt and I, we do a workshop at CDA Presents and it's 
buying a dental practice. And we it's a round tables and we go, we have different experts in the room. We have a, a, a financing institution, um, Bank of America, which is endorsed by CDA. We have a CPA and we have an attorney. And then we have members from our team who are there. And we go around to each table and we talk to the doctors about all of the different options to consider with buying a practice. And um and we we're, we say, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than building that practice exactly the way you want it and running that practice exactly the way you want it. And there's probably nothing that's going to ever be harder <laughs> to do than building that practice and taking over a dental team if it's an acquisition or building a team from scratch and building a practice from scratch. It's going to be challenging. We don't sugarcoat it, but those who really want it, like Matt said, and have looked at who they are as who they are as professionals and what's going to keep them excited, engaged for their entire career, there's nothing better than practice ownership. Yeah, I feel like there's not as many of those solo doctor practices now anyways. So most mm-hmm. practices need associates. So it's not a bad gig if you think that you're more of the employee type and you love dentistry, but you don't want the business ownership. I think so many of us go into undergrad with our pre-dental path and like we're so excited to own a practice. But by the time you're getting to the end of dental school, when you've learned more, seen more, visited other offices, I can definitely see the other side of it where like just how much work it is and how many details go into it that doing it completely alone is a lot of work. So partnership or staying an associate can definitely be a better option for some people too. That's, yeah, we're actually working on some different um, courses and resources on group practices right now for our members and, and the pros and cons of what those, what those are. And so you can be an owner and you can be in a group practice environment. Um, you know, it provides that work-life balance um, that a lot of doctors are looking for. It helps you manage the, it balance out the management responsibilities. So it's not just all on one, one person to, you know, manage the practice. Um, then there's overhead cost sharing, which is, is always a pro, especially in California. <laughs> you know, your fixed expenses, your rent is your rent, regardless of whether you have one doctor who owns the practice or you have three doctors who owns the practice. So, so those fixed overhead expenses, it's, it's enticing to have a group practice for sure. Yeah. And you don't have to make up your mind like today, you know, you can, yeah, you can go out and learn how you know, to be a dentist and then how to be a business owner and then, you know, decide five or 10 or 15 years down the road that you want to have your practice. So, you know, you don't have to pick one and ride it out forever. Yeah, yeah that's very important because life changes a lot and whatever you think is going to happen probably won't play out exactly that way. So you never know what's going to be the best thing for you later on. Yeah. It's kind of exciting because when I entered this profession 20 years ago, there was basically one path. You graduated, you may be an associate for two or three years, and then you went on to purchase a practice. And now there's not only so much diversity in the profession, but there's so many career choices and so many career models. And um, we just did a women in dentistry panel at CDA Presents in San Jose a couple of weeks ago. And all of the women on the panel, all the, the dentists on the panel said that to them success was was they define success 
in so many different ways. One of them is a faculty at the dental school. One of them is an associate dentist. Um, one of them owns a group practice and one of them was a solo doctor. So, and they all, they all felt like they had successful, fulfilling careers and they all had chosen different models. Kind of on the flip side of that, I feel like it can be discouraging for some dental students because in a lot of those like online forums and stuff, Facebook groups, whatnot, you see posts from some associates that are really struggling, whether it be with their finances, with their student debt load, they're not earning as much as they thought they would, they don't have a plan, maybe they're burnt out, maybe they're stressed or anxious about their office. What just advice would you have for someone that is in an associate position and they just feel like in over their heads, whether that be with finances or burnt out, like how can they pivot and kind of readjust? The first thing is they're not alone. You know, this burnout, we've heard from so many members right now, especially after the pandemic, that this burnout's real. So there's there's so many resources out there for for burnout too. Um, but if they're if they're struggling, you know they're they're not alone. Just call your if you have a local dental society, if you have a school or a mentor, if you have your state society, you know you can reach out to someone and talk. If you're struggling with your finances, um, work with work with your CPA, a dental CPA that's out there that can help you put together a plan. If it's finances, because maybe you're not producing, are are you in the right environment or? <clears throat> why are you not producing you know what what is it really try to dig down and and break down where it is that needs the help or the attention but there's so many people out there that that want to help you and you know where Katie and I are member benefits like you're part of the state association and we just want to help like you can reach out to us and call and talk to us and we can get you going in the right direction but really just don't ever feel like you're alone there's somebody out there that can help you and just knowing who and how to get that person to get you on the right path is important. I, I think surround yourself with, like Matt said, know that there's other people in your community who feel that in your dental community. Um, so I think a great resource, as Matt mentioned, is the local dental society. So we have 32 in California <laughs> um, and they want you to call and they want you to come to their mixers and their events. And, um, and actually a lot of them are offering and even CDA were offering mental health and well-being um, webinars and lectures because we know that this is such a, this is such a, a, prevalent issue right now um, in our profession. So there's resources, there's coaches, there's guidance, there's mentors, um, and there's a path forward. There's always options. One of my favorite quotes that I use with dental students, and Matt's probably sick of me saying it, is you are at choice. You have so many choices. Um, I mean, there's just there's so many options and you don't have to feel stuck and we can we can guide you and point you in the right direction. Yeah, you're not the first person that felt this way and you're not going to be the last. So, you know, reach out to somebody that's been there and done that, that that can help. Thank you for that advice. And we've kind of reached the point where I just like to give my guests a chance to like round out with any final take home message. So if you each want to give something, we can make it for like the students towards the end of dental school. Any take home advice that you want to give? Gosh, mine's just enjoy don't stress out too much. Go through the go through the last couple of months of school. 
enjoy it. I know it's stressful, but be present um, where you are. You have time to find a job. You have time, you know, not just that time between graduation and licensure, but you have time to figure it out and, and trust your instincts, trust your gut. When you go into an interview setting, be who you are, be authentic. Don't try to be something that you're not. Uh, because anytime that you try to be something that you're not, you're going to put yourself in a situation where ultimately it's not going to work out for you. So you've worked really hard. You have so many accomplishments to be proud of and, um, and just trust in the process. I think even going back to what I was just saying, like, go make those connections, like reach out, reach out to your state societies or your local societies, your state associations, ADA, and ask like, what's the benefit of being a member? And see what they what they offer you, or what you can get, or what CE courses can you go to, or where can you meet people, or what vendors. Like the more people you meet, the more likelihood of having like that help or that connection or that resource later when you need it is there. So, um, you know, go out and build those relationships, and 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 don't don't be afraid to ask for help. I love that from both of you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time tonight. Is there a good way for people to reach out if they have any kind of specific follow-up questions? Absolutely. Yes. So they can email us, call us. They can go to cda.org. If they are a student member or a member of CDA, they can have access to all of the resources that we have available over, you know, 200 resources available on our website. And then in California, we have, we have, um, events for early career dentists coming up in 2024. They're called now plus next in dentistry and they're local meetups that we're going to have in different regions across the state. And so it's a great way for them to connect with dental students, early career dentists, mentors will be there. Um, so, And then I encourage if they're not in California, contact your state association because a lot of states have something very similar. Thank you. Yeah, I love my state dental association and organized dentistry and all. I'm the biggest fan. So it's fun getting to chat with you guys and Happy to hear that things are going so well all the way across the country. 